If you consider history, one of the great battles of all time was the invasion of Normandy. And though the battle was great, it took a long time to plan. Almost two years of planning went into preparing for that event. But when it came to actually going through with the invasion, it took on a whole new look. If you know your history, from the time that the pathfinders and the paratroops landed until the last troops landed on that day was a whole different ballgame than what was originally scheduled. One such example is Utah Beach, where troops led by General Theodore Roosevelt Jr. landed and discovered very soon that they were on the wrong beach. And the general, calling a consultation of his senior staff, got together and looked at the map and realized this fact, and they asked him, should we go on? Should we get back in the boats and go back to the original landing site? And General Theodore Roosevelt Jr. famously said, no, we will start the war from right here. And that was the case of the whole day. Nothing went to plan. Well, here in this passage this morning, I think we're going to have find something that has actually gone to plan. Something that has followed through with a plan has resulted in what was originally scheduled. So my simple challenge to you this morning is this. You and I are to praise God for his plan. You and I are to play, praise God for his plan. And you might ask, well, pastor, what is the plan? Are you talking about the plan of salvation? Are you talking about the plan of the church? What are you talking about? Well, the plan here in Hebrews chapter 7 is the priesthood of Christ, how Christ became the perfect priest. And the plan itself has two components I would like to lay out for you here in verses 1 through 19. And the first component is that God used a perfect human pattern. God used a perfect human pattern. Verses 1 through 10. Maybe verse 1, one for us. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Notice with me that the need to understand this truth is necessary for faith. So this is kind of where the author, again, picks up his topic from chapters four, chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 5, verse 10, where he talked about the priesthood of Christ. If we go back to chapter 4, verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest. So we kind of got into that discussion, and then he ended it kind of prematurely in verse 10 of chapter 5. Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of which we have much more to say and hard to explain, so you have become dull of hearing. So it kind of takes a break there in verse 11 to go on to other things, which we looked at over the past couple weeks, namely growing in faith, obtaining the promises, anchoring our soul to Christ. He's discussed that, and now he's back to, okay, who's Melchizedek? What's the point of this? kind of leads me to, you know, this is one of the arguments for the 
authorship of the Apostle Paul, because Paul does this a lot in the epistles, doesn't he? He starts with one topic, and then he goes, and he goes off on a rabbit trail, and then he comes back. So this is why some people say this is Paul, but no matter, he comes back to his original topic of talking about Melchizedek and the priesthood of Christ. Now he shows here that Melchizedek was a real priest whose priesthood still exists. And for us, again, in our day and age, this is hard for us to understand. Uh, Outside of the Roman Catholic Church, who has a priesthood and some sense of the word, we really don't have that in our culture. So this is is an inner world. Uh, It's it's kind of a foreign concept to us. But nonetheless, being a priest was central to the worship system in Israel. And so to have someone still be a priest, even after this time period where Christ has fulfilled the law and, 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 and the priesthood, even though it was still in existence, was starting to come to an end, is something significant for us to consider. But he was a real priest. Uh, we looked at this in reading Genesis chapter 14. He was the king of Salem. He was the priest of the Most High God. He wasn't just an ordinary guy. He had a special job. He was the priest of the Most High God. The word Most High here refers to God's status as the ultimate divinity against whom no pagan idol could compare. And what he's going to do as he goes on, and I jumped a little bit ahead of myself here, but he's going to logically explain this for us to consider. So so my, my method of madness in going through all these verses this morning is doing to explain his logic. We will, we will dig into a few words here, but the logicalness of this argument needs to be considered. And you notice he recounts the story a little bit for us in verse 1. He met Abraham returning from the battle, and he blessed him, and accordingly Abraham gave him a tenth, gave him a tithe of the spoils. This was traditional. This was something you did. When you were blessed by someone, especially someone who was a priest, you were culturally and socially accepted to give a tithe. Even more so, Abraham gives a tithe to the priest of the Most High God. Abraham's relationship with God, being the one who blessed him physically and spiritually, caused him to give a tithe to the one through whom a blessing came, that is, Melchizedek the priest. And what the author does here in verse 2, notice he gets to that little statement, to whom also he gave a tenth or a tithe, He kind of takes a break just for a second and talks about Melchizedek himself. First being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem being king of peace. He pauses to discuss his theological character. The word Melchizedek in Hebrew literally means king of righteousness. Okay, so you learned a little Hebrew this morning. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness. So that's your word in Hebrew. Um, if you want to learn more, let me know. Um, Salem, that's another Hebrew word. Literally means peace. Uh, today in Israel, you will hear many is, uh, of Jews say shalom. That's a translation of this word. It means to be peace. So he's literally king of righteousness and king of peace. Two theological terms in which we are very familiar with, and the scriptures are as well. Righteousness is God's righteous standard, and his peace gives tranquility 
and stability amid chaos. But notice also, he says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. What does this mean? What the author is saying is there is no written genealogy, no date of birth, no date of death that we can find. So in, in, a, in a broader sense, Melchizedek is still alive. In, in a, a general sense. Now, we know he was a human being. He had to die. Well, all, it's appointed men once to die. Okay, that happens. But what he's doing, like, is drawing a comparison to Christ. In this way, being that he has no genealogy that we can find, no written record, he is like Christ. He is a type of Christ. Not, he is not Christ himself. He is a type of Christ. But he shows similar characteristics, which enable us to better understand him. This is, this, we would use... Um, the, the, the word illustration. Okay? I, I use illustrations in my preaching uh, to help you understand perhaps a term, perhaps a concept, perhaps a word better by kind of describing in our way of thinking how this works. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's using Melchizedek as, as an example for his readers to identify with. You know, we don't have his genealogy written down. We, we, we can assume they had a mother and father, but there is no record of that. So in, in essence, he still exists, even though he's gone. So that helps the readers, it helps us to identify him with Christ. So therefore, since he does not have a beginning or an ending, his priesthood, his job, if you will, as priest, never ended. And it is that type of priesthood that is worthy of replication by God. So the fact that, that Melchizedek never died, that he was a priest, we don't have that ending, right? His priesthood still continues. Unlike the priesthood of Aaron, which we'll see here in a few minutes, which has an ending date, or had an ending date. Excuse me. Notice also that Melchizedek functioned as a priest, and his priesthood was superior to any other. But made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. The author considers and asks that we, 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 we see how great he was. He, he, he was a king, but he was also one who received a tenth of the spoils or a tithe. He was functioned as a priest and people are to accept him as such. And his priesthood was the same as those of the, the children of Israel, the sons of Levi. That's why he makes mention in verse 5, Indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive the tithes from the people according to the law. It is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. This is, this was, this is what the Levitical priesthood did. Uh, they took tithes from the people to provide for themselves. Listen to Numbers 18, verses 25 through 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, she shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. What was God saying to Moses? 
Tell the, tell the Levites, tell the priests, that when they receive the tithe from the people who are coming to worship, you tithe from that. So God allowed a provision from the people of God for those who were in the priesthood. That was just that was the way they were provided for. So no less was the function of Melchizedek. He received a, I hate to say the word fee. I don't think that's it. It just he received a tithe from Abraham for his his work, for his effort. That was natural, that was okay. But in case any of his readers, in case any of us say, well, well, Melchizedek isn't a Jew. You know, he's not part of the Levitical priesthood, therefore he isn't a priest. Notice what he says. They still receive tithes though they, from their brethren, from their own people, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But, verse 6, he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had made the promises. So just because Melchizedek isn't Jewish doesn't mean he didn't have the right to receive tithes. And he did so from Abraham. Who's Abraham? One of the pillars, the founders of the nation of Israel. Now I would liken this concept to a job qualification. Why do we have job qualifications in our world? They list the requirements that are necessary to apply or to have that job, don't they? You could be working in a sec, you know, in a in a, a in the mill, and they have certain things that are written down for the particular job that you're working. And sometimes people get in their heads that you have to have some sort of pre-qualification to qualify, right? I've experienced that where some. People were, I, when I worked at South Dakota State University as a custodial supervisor, one of my jobs was to hire students to work during the school year to help us out with the cleaning and stuff. And whenever a student would, I would go and look at an application, I couldn't look through that application and see, okay, this person has uh, the right hair color, the right eye color. You know, I, th those certain characteristics weren't qualifiers. They didn't need to be. I mean, if you lived and breathed and could push a broom, you were fine. Still needed some training, but you were fine. Okay? The same concept is here. The priesthood wasn't just for the Jews. Yes, there were qualifications for it, but others could be involved in it too. The Jewishness of Melchizedek is not a factor. He wasn't a Jew, but he was still qualified to be a priest. Even to the point that Abraham paid tithes to him, the founder of the nation, which is blows the mind. And would for the readers of this book. But notice also that, that Melchizedek also blessed Abraham. So Abraham gives tithes to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blesses him. And that's just natural. Now beyond all contradiction, verse 7, the lesser is blessed by the better. The word better there, I'm using the New King James translation, I think a better word there would be greater. Lesser, he's using a lesser to the greater argument here. So he's saying that because Melchizedek was greater and he blessed Abraham, Abraham was the lesser. And notice this is just traditional for the priesthood. Notice 2 Chronicles 30.27, just an example of this. 
Then the priests and the Levites, this is the time of Hezekiah and his reforms, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. It was just natural. The priests were considered to be representatives for God. They were a service to God in worship. And so they blessed the people. So the people were the lesser, the priests were the greater. And so he, they blessed them. Likewise, Melchizedek, who was greater, blessed Abraham, who was lesser in that moment. Verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he, li- he lives. Again, going back to that idea that he's never died, even though he, he was a man, he did die, but his genealogy is not recorded for us. So mortal men, men who, are, who die, receive tithes, but he still receives them even though he's not on the scene. Therefore, his priesthood never ended. And even if that's still a stumbling block for the readers, the author even goes to the point of saying that Levi, for whom the Levitical priesthood is named, he paid tithes. He paid a tenth to Melchizedek, even though he wasn't around. And it shows that the Levi, who was still in the future for Abraham, down the line, still submitted to the, to the priesthood of Melchizedek, showing that it was and is superior. Now you're saying, well, pastor, how, how does any application come out of that? Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you being faithful to the position to which God has called you? You look at the life of Melchizedek. We see him here. We see him in Psalm 104. And we see him in Genesis. That's it. That's all we see. We don't have his genealogy. We don't have his birthday. We don't have his death. We don't have anything in between outside of this one event. But yet he did what God required of him and was used by God in ways that perhaps he could not have even imagined. You think about the Genesis account. I mean, he's coming back. He's meeting Abraham after this great battle. He's blessing him. He's blessing God. He's serving Abraham, appointing him to God. Abraham pays tithes, you know, gives him a tenth, gives him a portion. And that's it. I mean, it's one simple little event that God uses to establish the priesthood of Christ forever. It's just one event. Yes, he was a king. Yes, he was a priest. And he was faithful to what God called him to do. This was just natural for him. That's what the, the, the job of priest was what he was called to do, and he was faithful to do so. So I ask you this morning, are you faithful to what God has called you to do? You may not think it's big. You may not think it's significant. It may not be. It may just be a menial task that you just have no pleasure in. It's hard. It's difficult. But yet you're being faithful to it. And who knows how God will use that. He just calls us to be faithful. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you don't like. Been there. Maybe you're doing something that's just just hard for you to do. And you're challenged time and time again just to stop doing it. You're tempted just to give up. You know, like, put your hands up enough. But God still works in your heart to be faithful at that task. Are you obedient at being faithful? Melchizedek was. 
Again, we're not told what happened afterwards. We can assume that he continued to live and, and, and be a priest to God, as God called him to do. But for this one moment, he was faithful to what God called him to do. And look at the impact that he has had. When God calls us to be faithful to a job, a task, a lifestyle, God will never fail to use that for his glory. So are you being faithful today at what God has called you to do? Second component of the plan, and lastly, is that God provided a better high priest. So Melchizedek, his line is established, his, his priesthood, he is, the, he is the superior to the Levitical priesthood. You would think nothing could get better. But truly there was, and there is someone who has come after him that is better. And what the author does is he gives several reasons why this high priest is better. Number one, it was needed. It was needed. Look at verse 11. Again, logically he explains this. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? saying, well, his argument is, if Levitical priesthood was designed to bring forth the perfect high priest, why have another one? But that's not what it was intended to be. The priesthood was under the law, and the law could not save nor produce perfection. Right? That's why the Levitical priesthood existed, because of the law. You go back to the Old Testament and... Look in Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The law was laid out. Here's how the priests are to function. Here's how the worship's supposed to go. The law gave the priesthood directions on how to, it was to be used and established it from its order to its function. But yet the law could not save. Right? The law couldn't produce perfection. The order of high priests which followed the path of Aaron, could not achieve perfection themselves. Why? Because they were sinners and needed to sacrifice and pay tithes just like the rest. We saw this back in chapter 5, verse 3, when he was discussing the high priest. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for his sins. He still was a sinner. He still needed to offer sacrifices. Aaron did. Listen to Leviticus chapter 9, verses 6-7. through seven. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Aaron still had to sacrifice and bring the offerings to be offered. He was still a sinner. So the Levitical priesthood could not have produced a perfect high priest. It wasn't designed to do that. So therefore, the reason exists that another high priest should have to come along to make a perfect sacrifice. So it was needed. A better high priest was different. The better high priest was different. Notice verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change in the law. For the priesthood being changed. What does that word change mean? It means to affect a change in state or condition. What changed? 
Well, the, the, the very identity of the priesthood did. And that's because of the quote which, we'll, which he later on identifies. We've looked at it before. Going down to chapter, verse 17, the quote from Psalm 10, verse 4. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So though it changed from one thing to another. Therefore, since the priesthood changed, the law necessarily had to change. Because the two were one, Right? The law dictated the priesthood, and the priesthood interpreted the law. The two went hand in hand. So therefore, since the priesthood changed, the law had to change as well, meaning that the law was fulfilled since the priesthood was different than what the law prescribes. The current priesthood that's in place, the priesthood of Melchizedek, which Christ is after, changed. Therefore, the law had to change as well. Let me read you a quote that may explain this better than what I'm doing right now. Okay? This is from uh, an author by the name of Barry Jocelyn. Uh, the book is called Hebrews, Christ, and the Law, the Theology of the Mosaic Law, in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10, 18. It's a fascinating read, I'm sure. Uh, this is quoted from a, uh, a commentary series uh, that, I've, that I read, so he quotes him. And so if you know, just as an aside, if, a, if an author quotes another author, what he's doing is he's using that author to say something that is so much better than what he could ever say. So this is what he's doing. Quote, it is argued here that the writer of Hebrews means in chapter 7, verse 12, that the law has been transformed in the light of the Christ event. What is meant by transformation or change is simply this. The transformed law is the result of what occurs when Christ intersects the law. There are radical changes that occur in both the priesthood and the law that involve both discontinuity and continuity. The best term that encompasses such changes is transformation. That's the word change. We get our word metamorphosis from this word. This involves the cessation of the Levitical priesthood due to its fulfillment in Christ. So therefore, in Hebrews 7, it becomes evident that the change involves cancellation of the priestly lineage requirement since a new priesthood has been declared by God in the oracle in Psalm 110, verse 4. This cancellation necessitates the, the stoppage of the Levitical priesthood and its worship due to Christ's fulfillment of what it foreshadowed. So what is he saying? He's saying is the priesthood and the law ceased because Christ fulfilled both. That's what he's saying. Christ fulfilled both, so both needed to change. And the change was the law was fulfilled, it stopped. The priesthood was fulfilled, it stopped. Another priesthood had to come to replace that. And that is the priesthood of Melchizedek. Clear as mud? Good. Uh, notice also that the better high priest came from a different tribe. Notice what he says in verses 13 and 14. For whom also, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke concerning the priesthood. Who was the tribe who had the priests? It was Levi. It wasn't Judah. That was, that was in the law. The priest came from Levi. Judah was different. His inheritance, his role, was one of the chief tribes. Listen to, to, to uh, Jacob's or Israel's blessing in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before him. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. 
He was a leader. He was the, the first, foremost part of the nation of Israel. He wasn't a priest, but yet a priest comes from him. Even though the tribe of Levi had the priesthood as its identity. You can look at this in Numbers chapter 3, starting in verse 5 and following. They served the altar. What does the word serve mean? It means to continue to pay attention to something. Devote yourselves to something. Be occupied with it. So what the author is doing here is he's noting that nothing in the Mosaic law was written about those from Judah being part of the priesthood. Yet God's better high priest comes from that tribe, making his priesthood different from the old one. So God uses a different tribe, tribe of Judah, the leader, chief, to bring about his perfect high priest, his better high priest. And isn't that like God? God does things differently than we do. If we were playing this story, we would have it go through the normal channels, wouldn't we? We'd have Jesus come through the Levitical priesthood and just kind of achieve perfection, be that one who stands out above all others. But no, God chooses something different. He has a better way. And that, that leads me just to stop for a minute and consider, are you okay with God's way in your life? You, you, you may be on a path that, that you, you're not satisfied with, you're not comfortable with, but it's what God has for you. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with God working in your heart and life in ways that you could not have imagined and maybe you struggle with. Well, see, God had a better way for his perfect high priest to come, and it was way different than what man had planned, but yet it was a better way. Are you satisfied with the better way that God has for you? Notice, fourthly, that the better high priest has a different standard. Verse 15. And is yet far more evident. So he's building his logical argument and he's, he's doing so. He's adding one thing and one thing. And oh, here's a, here's a better, better explanation. Is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the flesh of the commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the standard for the better high priest is, is Melchizedek. His likeness. The word likeness means similar to or agreeing with. And no longer is the standard the law. Again, here's, here's the, the comparison of the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Melchizedek. The standard for the Levitical priesthood was what? It was the law. It, it was the law. That was the standard. But the priesthood, the priest who comes through Melchizedek, his standard is greater. His standard is one of the power of an endless life. So the, the standard of power behind that priest is not the law, but his eternality, his endless life. The word endless there means to that which is indestructible. So the better high priest that God has has his never-ending life as the standard for his existence. See, the Levites had the law. As long as the law was around, their reason for existence was okay, right? That was, that was the reason for existence, was the law. Now that the law has been fulfilled, the priesthood doesn't have any other reason to exist, and therefore it ceased. 
But because Christ is a priest forever, Psalm 110, verse 4, he's eternal, his priesthood, his job as priest never ends. And by doing so, sixthly, fifthly, fifthly, the better high priest both abolishes and fulfills the law. Verse 18, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The word annulling here means refusal to recognize something as valid. Through this better high priest, the law was declared invalid. It was weak. The word weakness means to experience something, some incapacity or limitation. And it was unprofitable, meaning it had no advantage. It was weak, and had no benefit. For nothing, the law made nothing perfect. The word perfect means to be complete or mature. Again, it's the law cannot bring perfection. If you go to chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. That was not the intention of the law. The hope of the law was that the sins of the people would be forgiven and that a right relationship with God could be restored. Yet this desire was continually lost with sin and the repetitive need for sacrifices. Why did they sacrifice in the Old Testament time and time again? Why? Because they still sin, right? They still sin. They sin time and time again, so they had to offer sacrifices to atone for their sin. That's, that's the point of the sacrificial system, to show the bloody results of our sin, the disgusting results of our sin, that an animal had to die, animals had to die many times during the day in order for sin to be atoned for. But there is the fulfillment. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. Not a hope that you have to offer a sacrifice time and time again every time you sin, but a better hope through which we draw near to God. The word drawn here means to move into a space and draw closer to a reference point. Who is the reference point? The reference point here is God. And through the hope of the better high priest, we have access to God, which was what the law pointed to. Consider Galatians 3, 24-26. So then the law was our guardian, or other translations use the word schoolmaster, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The law did have a job. The law did have a purpose. It pointed people to a better fulfillment. And once the fulfillment came through the person of Jesus Christ, our high priest, we now have access to God. It's what we looked at last week in chapter 6, verse 20. For when the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, jumping back to verse 19, which enters the presence behind the veil. That God gave us a way to access himself, and that was through the high priest, Jesus Christ. That's the better hope. And again, for, for us in our, our modern context, it's, it's difficult to see this from a, a cultural perspective of the Jewish mindset. But this is crucial. What the author is saying is that the Levitical priesthood is fulfilled. 
Christ is the better high priest, and through him we have access to God. Unlike the old ways, where access to God was limited. And you can only go in once a year. And now, because of what Christ has done, bringing in this better hope through himself, we now have continual access to God. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you live like you have a better high priest? You know, there are many believers today who act like they're under the old Levitical system. They offer sacrifices to their sins, not like animals, you know, cutting throats and burning, <laughs> burning carcasses. But they try to make up for their sins, don't they? Well, I'll put in this many hours at church, I'll, I'll witness to this many people, and then God will forgive me. No, your forgiveness has already been attained in Christ. We do not have to live like we have to offer sacrifices for our sins over and over again. Christ has taken care of that. Amen? That's all completed. That's taken care for. So we need to live like we have a better high priest, one who has gone through the system, one who has fulfilled the law, one who has made every was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. We have a better high priest. We have someone who has made the path clear. We have someone who gave us access to God. So why do we act like we still have to earn it? Why do we act like we still have to do the normal and do the day-to-day things of Christianity in order to gain favor with God. That's already taken care of. We do not need to atone for our sins. Yes, we do need to confess and repent, 1 John 1, 9. But the atonement, the covering of the sins has already been done. Our better high priest did that. So are we living in our conversation, in our actions, like we have a better high priest. Most of humanity's plans fail, don't they? Because of unforeseen delays or overemphasized results, they crash and burn, while those who made the plans wonder what went wrong. this morning from this passage of Scripture, I think we've seen a different plan. One that has worked far above anything that anyone could have worked out. And it centers on the priesthood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How did, what's the components of that plan? God used a perfect human pattern. Melchizedek, whose priesthood does not end, Christ's pattern after that. He has provided a better high priest. One who has worked in ways and has come about in ways that you and I could have never imagined. So that we may draw near to God through Him. So this week, as we get to the busyness, get to the fun, get to the highs, get to the lows, may we remember the plan of God found in our high priest Jesus Christ and rejoice both in that plan, the God who planned it, and in Jesus himself until we see his face.